Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Brown, a Sonic game is has scored seventy six on Metacritic listen, at the time we record this. Listen, the thing is, twenty twenty two. The thing is, Sonic Frontiers is yeah. getting very good reviews yeah. for a Sonic game. Yeah. But I almost wish it hadn't because I don't want you to be disappointed <laughs> because now you are looking at that uh, green green Metacritic score. Green Hill Zone, baby. It, I know what you're thinking. You're getting wild ideas about what this game is going to be. You're uh. going to over it and be disappointed. I wish it had scored in the 60s and then you would have been pleasantly surprised because I don't want you to get ahead of yourself, Scott. I look, I played um, Sonic Frontiers when we were at uh, EGX and I really enjoyed it. So I don't, I can't, I can't see where it can go wrong. I'm going to play it at midnight. We didn't get access to a, to a review code, sadly, um, but I'm going to dive on at midnight. And a little little me can't be disappointed at this stage. I don't know if that's true. I've seen. You I like Gotham Knights. This, uh, this is the thing. Yeah, you're, you're going through, and I say this as a friend. <laughs> In episode over the past week or so, with Scorn, with I'm a Gotham Knights, <laughs> you certainly are. You've get, you, someone's ordered a second season, season pass. of the Scott Telford show <laughs> because some of the some of the things that you've been coming out with and yep. talking about in the about the video games, uh, which we're going to get into on this podcast, true, have been. Well, they've been something, all right. Hey, look, Sonic Frontiers is something all right. In fact, it's a better something all right than Sonic's been in about 11 years. The last game to have a green score on Metacritic was Sonic Generations in 2011. What I love is that last night, I think it was, you Uh put out your top 10 games of the year so far. And Personal now picks. you're going to have to rejig that. Well, Sonic I deliberately Frontiers. did that. I wanted to have it. Ah. It's like big BC. What is that? What's that religious thing where it's like AD and BC? And That's it. That's yeah, the yeah. one. I, I want to do that. Like, oh, Sonic. Yeah. <laughs> AS and, uh, and BS. I, I needed to do that. BS. That's my, uh, my, uh, my bisecting point in the year is before Sonic Frontiers and after Sonic Frontiers. Um, but yes, I should say this is the wind up. I'm Scott Tilford. You're Josh Brown. Good afternoon, Scott Tilford. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. We usually do this podcast a bit early, but we couldn't get in the damn studio to get stuff recorded. We had too much content to do. Things have been going on. Things have been going on, uh, including Sonic Frontiers. But uh, we wind up for the week with whatever the latest talking points in the industry are and whatever the latest news is. Um, but for the latter, there's nothing going on. The industry is very much winding down for Christmas. And um, we've got a little bit of a news thing to talk about in regards to the PlayStation VR 2 getting a confirmed price. Yeah, it did. And it's ludicrous, but no, we'll get did. there in good time. Um, we're not going to talk about Sonic that much because I haven't played it yet. Um, but I thought we'd sort of just do a roundup. You've been playing God of War Ragnarok. We've both been playing Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Um, in Ragnarok's case, the review and a Q&A video is online. Tips and tricks will be online for the um, release day, which I think is on Wednesday. Yes. Ridiculous that it's out which on Wednesday. Which is nuts, by no. the way. I did not prepare for that at all. No. And I should have, because as you said, I've been playing this game. <laughs> Thankfully, Sony sent us two copies. Yes. 
you have, of course, taken the brunt of the content, done the main review, like you've said, mm-hmm. done the Ask the Reviewer, and I know you have a lot more juicy content coming out for I Wednesday, do. Thursday, and Friday as well, including a tips and tricks video. Yep, Can yep, I yep, tell yep. the people about that? That's what I just said, tips and tricks on the Did old you really? Yeah. Oh, and it's so late in the day. It's I, 4 I, I'm already blanked that. I, I, I heard Ask the Review, my friend. I'm so sorry I missed the rest <laughs> of that sentence. But yes. It is okay. So overall, I'm not going to say too much about God of War Ragnarok, because no. I'm only 10 hours in, yes. and I want to avoid spoilers, or even the potential of spoilers at all costs. But I will say that friendship ended with Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, because now God of War Ragnarok is my best friend. <laughs> I am really enjoying this game, Scott. And, you know, like we said, we're recording this in the afternoon. And normally, I wouldn't actually mind if a recording of the podcast went past five because I enjoy doing <laughs> these so much. However, today... This podcast is shutting down at 4.59. I'm going to pack my stuff away, (laughs) and I'm going to run home home. to play more of this game because, yes, uh, I'm really enjoying what I've played so far, Mm -hmm. and I would recommend people check out your review for your much larger thoughts, and we absolutely will dive in more come uh, release date and into next week, no doubt. Yes. I don't know if you had the same kind of feeling as you're playing through it, and like you said, you're about 10 hours-ish in. Um, I finished it about 28 hours in, um, and that wasn't 100% playthrough, but it's it's such a hard game to review. There's so many points that you either can't talk about or don't want to talk about because you want to prioritize the experience for new players. Um, so it's one of those things that I get it's the big talking point, um, but I think it'll be a much bigger talking point in the coming weeks. I'm so curious what people think yeah. of the various things that are in here, um, even within the first sort of 10 hours or so. So we'll kind of skip past that. I guess um, general closing thoughts at um, this stage. Well, at, at this stage... Or you can pick whatever you want. You want to talk about more stuff? Bring it on. No, where, where I'm at right now, I can confidently say that this is definitely a sequel to 2018's God of War. <laughs> and you feel that in every way. However, I will say, again, without spoiling anything, mm. it has already thrown so many surprises my way in terms of the narrative, in terms of the level design, in terms of the gameplay, mm-hmm. that I was hooked from the opening. I think this opens, arguably, in my opinion, in a stronger way than 2018's did and gives me personally or has given me more narrative push, more gameplay push than 2018 did in the early hours. And because of that, I'm very thankful. And because of that, I'm kind of in immediately. Not that I wouldn't have been anyway because it's a God of War sequel, Mm. but I feel like, to me, this this, this is a more propulsive game. That's, I mean, the thing, we, yeah, we talked a lot uh, before we started recording about the various things that it gets right and the, and the changes in the overall feel of the narrative and how, like, 2018's God of War is, like, a much smaller story. It's just sort of Kratos and Atreus trying to spread some ashes and he climb up to a mountain and things get in the way and no one will just let this boy spread some ashes and it just kind of goes from there and various things happen. Whereas this is a much, much bigger thing about prophecies and fitting into them and where does it, how can you defy fate and all that kind of stuff. It's much bigger, which is, you know, there are, there are ideas that God of War has tackled in the past and it's like, like I said, it, it feels like a much grander tale and it's like yeah I I think we're going to move on because I yeah. feel like Ragnarok it, people are so tetchy about spoilers and you should be um, that I feel like a lot of people will just kind of it's everyone's like clenching just don't don't say anything that will give anything away and I'm oh my god have I stressed out about that for the last two weeks you have no idea everyone listening to this how <laughs> bad I have been in this office because anytime oh. Scott even uttered the word God and of and war <laughs> in the same sentence I practically I, I literally yeah, left, the left the room and had to hush you yeah. because I didn't even want to know a t- the tiniest things I fully get mm-hmm. anyone listening to this who might even right now be like whoa I don't want to know anything yeah. but in- incredibly we're two days away from launch, and we get to talk about this game properly over the next week. And like you said, I can only echo it. I'm so excited to see what people think about the developments in the story, how the gameplay has evolved, all of that jazz. 
talking to you this morning about it and talking to you now about it on mic, it just, I forgot how much I missed the shared experience of like everyone going through a big game together. Yeah. Obviously we had that with Elden Ring, but that, that wasn't was the last time this year though. 100%. Yeah. And that wasn't even as story focused as this, no. you know, this is where we're going to be dissecting characters, uh, you know, direction, plot points, way more than we did with Elden Ring. It's mm-hmm. a whole other beast. But I just, I forgot how much I missed that when we were talking about intricacies of certain scenes and how they played out. Totally. Like that's what I love. That's what I'm excited to do next week. And that's what I'm excited to see other people do online mm-hmm. and hopefully tweet us about it as well. Yeah, we'll do, I think from here on out, because we've got the God of War review, we've got the uh, Ask the reviewer they are they are both 100% spoiler free um there is a tips and tricks that will be spoiler free as well um and then after that i think it'll be straight on spoiler discussions etc yeah. etc et so um yeah you've kind of got like a nice three set of videos to get dove into and then get stuck into the game get through it see what you think um you know and then come back and, and you can join us for all the spoiler stuff because that's the most interesting stuff by far it's the kind of story um, and the kind of thematics and everything that I just I just can't wait to speak to people about it. And um, there's one thing that sucks about reviewing video games. It is that isolation, isolating feeling um, of just kind of being in like a bathosphere. I love that word. Um, waiting for the rest of the world to sort of like get in there and so you can talk to them. You've literally been that meme, you know, where it's the guy at the party and it's like, they don't know I've completed <laughs> God of War Ragnarok. They don't know I know the story they of God of War Ragnarok. That's been you at this office for like three weeks. Oh my God, dude. I mean, like, yeah, I've, we ever did a podcast about why reviewing games sucks. That would be my number one thing is that you don't have the shared experience. But um, yes. thank you, Sony, for sending those guys. Yeah, massive thank you. Absolutely love having the codes. Love the Ragnarok. It's a big thing. But uh, in regards to conversation, I'm a big fan of the old banter. But anyway, yeah. um, speaking of banter, Scorn is my number three game of the year. See, this uh, is... Personally. Ooh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to let you talk about this because you texted me last night yep. saying, Josh, I think Scorn might be my game of the year. I think year. I love it. And I think oh, I, I do put my phone down and continued playing God of War because <laughs> I, I couldn't process it. And you went, oh, he's doing it again. And when he's doing it again, here's the thing. I really liked Scorn. I yes. talked about it on the podcast a few weeks ago. You did. I thought it was really good. In fact, I think I like certain levels of it more than you, in fact. Mm. So can you tell me why this has instantly shot up your rankings? Because you've played a lot games this year True. and oh my God, have I marks this out as being special. I just, I think, well, one, obviously it's the immediate stuff. It's the art direction. I think it has as much as it is borrowing from HR Geiger stuff. And I should have looked up the name of the dude. There's another guy that does HR Geiger style um, artwork. I think he's another Polish guy. Um, and it's very like that. It's very like dissolute and like warped and sort of like, you know, everything looks kind of disgusting. Everything has flesh to it. Everything's this biomechanical push. And I feel like a lot of people looked at Scorn and just went like, oh, is that an alien game? And then when it wasn't, they went, ah, I don't want anything to do with it. But once you dive into it, um, I feel like it has this overall um, identity that sort of looks like H.R. Geiger inspired. It's not directly trying to be like Alien. It's just pulling from the same source material um, or the same sort of reference points that I guess he had when he was designing the uh, Xenomorph or something. And for me, it's just, it has so much confidence in its depiction. And it's this like, this really like completely effed up the horror scenario where you're like, you're this kind of prisoner, you're this sort of human or humanoid thing yeah. who just wakes up in this facility and you're just interacting with the various puzzles and the sort of, you're just exploring this place, trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Who are you? What's going on? What do I have to do to get out of this place? Um, and I just feel like it just has such an atmosphere that is just, just so incredibly uh, effective. Like nothing else looks like it in gaming history. I mean, really it doesn't like overall, like you can point to HR, Geiger inspired stuff. Yeah. And you can point to the likes of like Mist as being this sort of like dis, uh, desolate or dis, uh, disparate approach to puzzling, um, puzzle uh, levels or whatever. But I just feel like it comes together so well. And then by the time you get to the end, some of the really visceral imagery that you're getting and some of the themes that they're exploring, um, which I guess I'm not going to give away.
away because um, it will be spoilers, I guess. But I feel I just feel like it's just such a immaculate piece of fiction. I just got so lost in it, and it was so effective. And I just think about it all the time. I feel like it's nice. it's its visuals are just so memorable. I feel like it has just such a punch to it. The combat is absolute dog. Which well, is one thing. Let's okay. I do agree that it is an effective game. Like I think it's massively really good, really memorable, and I think it's way better than a lot of people are giving it credit for. Like yeah. sometimes you kind of mention Scorn, and people get <laughs> scorned by it. It's like some people <laughs> hate this game, and yeah. I, I can't quite fathom that because for me the puzzles are after the first one, which is a bit of a roadblock. The mm. puzzles are relatively straightforward, I would say. And that's not me being a big-brained, uh, no, you know, smart easy. guy. I mm-hmm. think they are... I think the way that the game ushers you around the levels is relatively straightforward. Mm-hmm. And the checkpoints aren't great, admittedly, but I don't think it's a game you necessarily get stuck in, but it's well, the, it's the, a vibe, man. Like, it's an yes. experience, it's journey, it's atmospheric, and it's kind of like just something to get swallowed up by, ironically. If you like um, like sci-fi horror, space horror, something like John Carpenter's The Thing, unquantifiable horror, then and, and just getting lost in it and not knowing the rules of what is after you or what's really going on or whatever, atmospheric horror, it's that. And I think it's that specific feel. That's why I love The Thing. It's one of my favorite films of all time. Um, and it's just, like I said, it's an un- unquantifiable horror. And I feel like they, even by the end of the game, you don't really know what role you played in this whole facility and what's really going on. You can point to certain things. And I love the interpretational side of it too. Like I have my own read on it that just makes it even more spooky and cool. Yeah. And I just kind of love that. So it's it's those things. It's sort of planting those seeds. And it's got this like this really like tactile feel to it where everything is like leaden and you're sort of like pulling these big levers or interacting with all these like dead parts of this factory or whatever the hell this place is that you're inside. And it's just, so evocative. I think the whole thing is just so, so evocative. Um, and it feels like someone used to live here or someone used to work here. And am I someone, who, like, as the character, it's like, did I used to work here? Is that why I'm waking up here? What the hell's going on? Yeah. And I just feel like they they just nail that whole feel of, like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to figure it out. And it just has this, like, survivalist edge. But to quickly address you were saying um, that whole idea of, like, some people absolutely hate it is so mismarketed. Like right. when, it, when it was first revealed, like, it has the fact that it was revealed as an Xbox exclusive. Everyone thought it was an alien game because they showed the, the um, part of one of the designs, I think it's on one of the murals in the game, that looked like a xenomorph head and when, when it was revealed to be scorn um, and then some people saw that it was first person it was oh, it's gonna be a first person shooter it's gonna be an action thing it's not like you know you get a couple of weapons in it one of which i completely missed you can get a pistol <laughs> in the beginning apparently i didn't get that um but you do get a shotgun you get a grenade launcher at one point um, which again sounds more actiony than it is but it's a first person puzzle game it's more yeah. like the witness it's more like mist like and it's about getting lost in a space and understanding 3D space and the satisfaction of slowly, incrementally getting through something. It's also really short, which I think made people go like, oh my God, an Xbox exclusive and it's only like three hours. Mm. But for me, it's, it does not stay its welcome. It's it's perfect. It's perfectly made. I think as well, without you regard. know spoiling anything mm. about the later stages of the game, but those later stages oh, the final are so, so good. good. Yeah, the final area, I fully agree, is like one of the best levels of the whole year so far like you were saying i can only echo the words that you've mentioned you know so evocative so memorable so impactful so uh otherworldly in its design and so effed up it's so so effed up dude this game is so gnarly man (laughs) like the the gore in it like even outside of just everything you interact with Uh in this game is made of flesh like the weapons the the health packs the enemies yourself 
sorry, I'm just, I'm just, no, I'm, inter- I'm just, I'm very passionate about this game. I'm just thinking, I'm just to not give away what the specifics are. There is a squishing machine in this game, <laughs> and what you squish in that machine, I would not have seen coming until I was doing the squishing. Not at all. I remember no. getting to that bit late at night, you know, <laughs> in thinking. Well, this is... I'm doing this. I'm, I'm doing this, I guess. The, the game is, is making me do this. This is... Uh, All animated very, very well. Like, an entire team of people had to perfect those squishes. Yep. Like, it's a whole thing. Um, speaking of the squishes, though, in terms of its sonic footprint, like, mm. the audio design of the game, you know, absolutely supports those fleshy, mm. uh, wet visuals that you're seeing. <laughs> wet visuals. <laughs> wet visuals, I know. Soaking. I'm thinking of the, um, you know, when you see, like, the Xenomorph in Alien 2, especially, it drips a lot. Dripping with yeah. goo. I get the same vibe in yeah. a lot of the levels here, you know, whether that's blood or whether it's goo or whether it's uh, like, the bodily fluids. Yeah, there's always like Geiger. something dripping or there's like just weird torn flesh hanging off everything. It's like the entire facility has this veneer of like having been alive at one point or whatever the hell it is. Everything is bony, everything is fleshy, everything is pulsating and breathing. I just, for me, it's so, so effective. And I just kept saying out loud every five minutes like oh my effing god i love this so much not to drop you in it though because i do want to talk about the game's flaws because i wouldn't say it is necessarily a fully recommendable game because it's very hard to recommend it that's it there are moments i know when you got to some combat areas and you were messaging me like annoyed and thinking, well, is it even worth pushing on if this is going to be the rest of the game? Well, because that's the thing, because they, they they hide. For me, they hide the first weapon you get. I have no idea where that is. I didn't get a pistol. <laughs> I got this weird weapon that is pretty much a Xenomorph's head gun. Yes. Which is just like a, it's like a cattle prod. You're sort of like pointing at its stuff and a little part of it juts out and goes back in again. You can only do two shots before it has to, uh, like has like a cooldown of about 20 seconds. And in that, I thought by that point, you'll have just been killed. You die in like two hits. Yeah. Um, you have a health thing you eventually find, um, which you just, you sort of inject it into your wrist to get some health back but the amount of health that you take if you get hit by something um, is enough to kill you in about two or three hits and a lot of the enemies do projectile attacks which they can still kill you even if you're trying to solve a puzzle or you're interacting with the health thing it's very alien isolation of just like oh I'm trying to save I'm trying to do something yeah. and I've just been gored through the stomach by something um, so yeah the combat side of it if you don't find until you find the ranged weapons is pretty cumbersome and awkward and pretty awful in that regard and also if you die the game's checkpointing only banks checkpoints when you solve puzzles or meaningfully interact with something so that entire time you're figuring a puzzle out it's nothing is banked and if you yeah. die um before you get to the next major quote-unquote story bit you'll just, you could lose like 10 15 minutes like and that really really sucks especially when one of the biggest positives is just exploring the place and i just enjoying the art design uh, only for to come around a corner and for something to spit on you and then die and then go all the way back again like that was the stuff where i was like oh my god this this fundamentally clashes with what you're trying to sell me but holistically especially when you get to that final area it's like okay i get what that area was i get how that works yeah um, it's awkward it's cumbersome the checkpointing absolutely sucks um but it does give that area of combat a bit more personality a bit more memorability in the overall journey that you go on as this whatever the hell you are from the very beginning of the story yeah i think i would agree you know as a level that one specifically where it does feel like a combat gauntlet combined Mm. with this you know incredibly dense exploration section where there's a lot of enemies there's a lot of puzzles Mm -hmm. to solve it's kind of like pick one or the other and give me an easier time (laughs) but ultimately you know i think it's an interesting way to talk about games because how much leeway can we cut them if Mm. 
an experience, a frustrating experience like that, whether intentionally frustrating or not, ultimately contributes to the thematics that are at the heart of the story. Like, I do think it's bad. Like, I think th- right. those parts are, are like, are, let's just say objectively bad. Like, yes. Yeah, but that stuff sucks. How much slack are we willing to cut it if, in retrospect, it makes sense that we had so many frustrating moments it's like one of those things where you could say as someone it's worth pushing through like it's like knowing that the final area is so rewarding and and sort of gives you the answers that you want for so long and they're not like well they are kind of spelled out i feel like it has a very for me it has a very specific takeaway and i I get that the the overall thing is interpretational but i got to that final area and looked at the the murals and the various other things that it was showing me visually and i was like okay this this is so cool like i really like the the overall uh world that you're presenting here um but yeah that is definitely a low point especially when it succeeds so well at environmental and, and puzzles and everything else beforehand. But that's another thing is that they choose to put a really roadblocky puzzle right at the beginning and um, where it's, it is quite cumbersome. You're just sort of moving parts around on a, a board in the distance to try and solve like a weird, it's like a, a bubble bubble style puzzle. It's like sets of two that you're all sort of putting next to each other or Puyo Puyo rather. Um, it's kind of like that. It's like a Puyo Puyo thing, um, which I don't know if you're a Puyo Puyo fan. I'm not. But uh, it's very much like a Puyo puzzle and um, which was kind of popped me because I was like, that's funny that there's a random Puyo Puyo puzzle thing in here. Well, like set lining up sets of two everywhere. Let me ask you a question. What ask was me a question. Um, more frustrating? That first puzzle in Scorn mm-hmm. or the bit in Gotham Knights where they make you do Sudoku <laughs> um, that bit in Scorn because I was just like oh my god <laughs> let me get through this and I the Sudoku that, that bit in Gotham Knights where the whole like you're searching down the Court of Owls I'm not gonna do plot spoilers but like you, the, the whole setup of that game is oh my god the Court of Owls live underneath Gotham we need to find them and the fact that one dude who has all the answers has a giant like wall that goes into the ground but it only opens if you can solve a Sudoku puzzle like <laughs> literally it's a Sudoku puzzle like that's that was hilariously dumb. What I loved about that, not to make it all about this puzzle, but I loved <laughs> that the game literally stops to teach you Sudoku. I know. You don't know well, it. the thing that doesn't make any sense is that you go to that wall and it looks like a Sudoku grid. It's like yeah. a three by three or something. Maybe a four by four, actually. Um, and then you're sort of looking at it, it's a bunch of symbols, and then I was playing as Jason Todd, so he was just like, what the hell's this? And then Alfred gets on the comms, and Alfred's like, oh, I love Sudoku. And then they just run with the fact that it's Sudoku, and it's like, I thought you were making a visual comparison, Alfred, but no. you're actually just going like, no, I know exactly what this is. Like, <laughs> okay, yeah, sure, I guess we do these all the time. Amazing, what a strange game that is. <laughs> game of the year. But mm. uh, in regards to Scorn, also game of the year, I feel mm. like, um, that's the thing, it's like completely personally, I feel like Scorn was just so wall-to-wall impressive. Like, even when I was getting killed, I was just annoyed because I wanted to drink it in more. I wanted to just yeah. keep going. And I feel like the combat stuff was um, was just infuriating in that specific section. It's about something like a three-hour game anyway, if that. And it's about a half-an-hour stint at about the, the two-thirds mark. I love that this game did live up to what you hoped it would be because mm. you started Scone, obviously. Then you went on to Goth- Gotham Knights. Yep. Then you went to Ragnarok. Yep. And then you went to Mario and Rabbits. You've had a long <laughs> journey to get back to Scone, is what I'm saying. And you got back, and then ultimately... It proved worth waiting. Scorn was the one. Was great. As soon as I started it, I, like I said, it's. I think for me, it. Well, I just think overall, it's so immediate. The art direction is so powerful that even as soon as you load it up, it's just like, oh, I've never seen anything like this before. It's so well rendered and everything. Scorn was the game that I was gutted and really like, like quite sad that I had to, I had to quote unquote prioritize Ragnarok over. I was always looking forward to getting back to Scorn. Right. And so as soon as Ragnarok was done, dove back into Scorn and absolutely loved it. It's interesting though because you know we, we're obviously talking a lot about the design of it, and you yeah. just said there, you know, it's like nothing you've ever seen before. No. My issue 
with the game, and it's not really an issue. It's literally baked into the entire construction of the game. Mm. Is that I have seen those visuals before in like H.I. Geiger's H.I. Geiger's art in okay. the Alien series. I've right. never seen it. I mean, in games, like that's, is, that's what I'm saying. It's not been done in games. Yeah, I've never seen it like done like this in a video game. But it it it, it wowed me, but it couldn't reach a deeper level because. Its influences so were so obvious, whereas like mm. I, I viewed it as like almost a beautiful recreation of something rather mm. than its own new thing. And it's it's hard. It's it's like I'm 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 criticizing it to a point where you know I'm saying a bloody eight out of ten game is only a eight point one out of ten <laughs> or something. You know, I'm talking like fractions of love for it. But it's just I think that's why I didn't connect with it mm. as much as you did because I was still blown away by the visuals, but I was kind of so aware of it. It's influences that um, I couldn't really connect with it. The thing is, like, I feel like there is, obviously, the go-to is H.R. Geiger. Like I said, again, because in that trailer, it was like, well, that's a xenomorph head. And, like, there is something in the game that looks like a xenomorph head. Um, but I feel like, because my wife showed me, there's a, um, I've just got to Google this dude's name. I'll probably end up, well, I will say this wrong. Um, but there's a Polish painter called uh, Zislaw Beksinski. Um, definitely not how you say his name, but that dude's work is very much in the same vein as H.R. Geiger, but a lot more sort of um, like depictions of humanity and skulls and skeletons and that kind of thing. Um, and there's also um, just, I mean, it reminded me of Tool's album art, which I think I said <laughs> when we st- when I started playing it. Yeah. Um, but I feel like there is a wider sort of um, exploration of depictions of of humans or humanoid stuff that isn't just H.R. Geiger. So I feel yeah. like to me, it's like, yeah, you can go, that, that's definitely a go-to. Um, but when I was playing through Scorn, I felt like it, it wasn't just that. I felt like it had a lot more to it. I felt like this overall, um, just this messed up environment that I've not, I've not been so grossed out by a depiction of something since I think the original Oddworld, and we did talk about that the original on the, on, on uh, PS One. Um, but I just, yeah, I just for me, it's an overall like confident punch. It has such a graphical punch, a sound punch. Um, it's so like interactive and you get so lost in it. I just I just think it's super, super effective. Yeah, play Scorn. Scorn is really good. <laughs> Go check out Scorn. Just don't expect to be shooting lots of stuff. Don't expect alien stuff. Um, just expect one hell of a effed up horror experience that is just creepy and gross and dripping. And wet. And wet. It's very, very wet. Um, speaking of things that are wet, not a segue at all whatsoever, but Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. I don't think I like that. What I don't you think just I like there. that at all. No. Uh, modern wet work. They do no. wet work in the oh, campaign. That's good. Yeah. That's the one. Easy. Half hey. past 4 p.m. But uh, <laughs> in regards to that game, um, we're just going to talk a little bit about Call of Duty because I feel like this year is a good COD. It's oh, the it best is. COD since 2019. And this is the most that uh, I've played a COD since 2019. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 
This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Team as well. I feel like when I was on the podcast last Monday, yes. I, I, I was a little naive about the changes that were made in all honesty because I came on and I was kind of complaining about about things that you should complain about like the spawns in the new perk system and whatnot but I also lumped in the new loadout system with all of those mm. negatives that I had and I was wrong Scott Elford <laughs> because the new loadout system the new progression system is incredible yes. in my opinion and has transformed the way I usually approach COD multiplayer. So just to explain, mm-hmm. if you haven't played COD in a while or if you're new to Call of Duty, in the old games, it was mostly the progression and your unlocks for your creator class was just based around leveling up um, either specific weapons or your whole character. So mm-hmm. if you went to, say, level 14 by getting kills or winning matches or whatever, you would eventually unlock an M4. And then if you wanted all the attachments and all the camos for that M4, you would just use the M4 in games. You would unlock <laughs> all of the attachments that way by getting kills, by leveling up that specific gun. Mm-hmm. But this time around, they have changed it. So you still get some weapons by leveling up regularly in gameplay. However, others are actually variants of weapons that you've already unlocked. So there are, you know, a bunch of different AK variants in the game. Yes. You have your classic one that just works like an AK-47. You have one that is like an AK-74U, etc., etc. And to unlock those guns, you have to spend time with the first AK, to unlock the second AK, to unlock the third <laughs> AK. But they've also changed camos and attachments. And bear with me, I'm promise this is worth it. They've also changed camos and attachments. So Mm -hmm. if I want to unlock everything for the AK, every attachment for the AK, I can't just use that gun. I have to go and use something else. I have to use a gun that I might not usually use, maybe in a completely different class, Mm -hmm. to unlock everything uh, for it. And that might sound stupid and cumbersome, because why would I want to use another gun if I want to use this gun? But it's made me use weapons that I would never normally use in a Call of Duty game. It's the breath of the wild approach. It's the breath of the wild approach. It's made me spend time with player styles that I wouldn't usually adopt, and I'm having so much more fun now that the game has enforced that variety. I know that you don't necessarily agree. No, I do. I just, I just, everything excellent. you just laid out, I, I just, I don't see it. I can't, <laughs> I've tried so much to see it. It's like someone opening a book in front of me and being, look at all the words on this. And all I can see is just paper. I can't see it at all. Um, and so, I, yeah, I, I play Call of Duty every year. I have done for, I don't know how long now, 15 years? 15 years. Whatever it is. I mean, I was playing it before Modern Warfare, but that was definitely the one that sort of locked stuff in. I guess that'd be 14 years. Um, no, no, 15 years. 15. 15 years. But, um, yeah, for this one, it just it feels immaculate. The thing that I really love about it is just how immediate it is, um, which is why I love Modern Warfare 2. Uh, well, I love Modern Warfare 2, the one. Very good. I love Modern Warfare 1, 2. 
You know what I mean? Uh, tea to blow. But uh, that whole thing, I feel like just, like, because you were saying about this whole weapon variety thing, how that's encouraging you to try different approaches and everything. And I was just like, I'm holding the left trigger and then pushing the right trigger with my <laughs> starting M4. And I'm coming first. Like, I'm doing really well, so why would I change things up? And then I was like, well, I'm getting dominated by this one single-shot rifle thing that yeah, everyone well. seems to have right now. So I was like, oh, screw it, I'll just I'll switch things up. So I started using a shotgun, which I know is blasphemous in the Call of Duty community, but I had a, had a lovely time with the shotgun. And I started mixing things up, and I did kind of tap into how satisfying a variety of approaches is in this game engine, um, or with all the tweaks they've made to the various, the ways all the different firearms feel. So... I'm still very much a casual Call of Duty fan. And uh, I, like I said, I play all of them. I'm going to play through the campaign and everything. But um, I want to get more stuck into the stuff that you described, like this, this idea of like various treadmills that all kind of feed into each other. I really, really cannot genuinely pass that. Like they, they keep trying to tell me, hey, tri- hit triangle to view the, the weapon map thing. I, don't, I can't get it. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I brought it up the other night again because you, you, you broke it all down for me in person and said, well, you're like, this is the starter weapon on the left. And then it's like, there's different options that you could go to, but I can't tell how to spec towards any of them. Yeah. So I just keep playing and I'm just playing and, and playing is lovely, but I cannot figure that game out. Well, this is it. The UI sucks, man. The UI, UI is bad. Is a travesty across the board. And What's I'd- a worse UI, God of War Ragnarok or <laughs> Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2? <laughs> Has to be Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. <laughs> <laughs> because at least Call of, at least God of War Ragnarok doesn't let me jump into multiplayer and then think I'm in a lobby when I'm not in a lobby. So I'm wasting like 10 minutes at a time. But not the point. Yeah, the, the UI sucks. I totally get, you know, a lot of this just being far more obtuse and obfuscated than it ever should be because mm-hmm. there's a great system there. They just need to communicate it better and to streamline it better and to make it clear what you're working towards and what you are unlocking. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they had that stuff nailed down in Modern Warfare 2019, which we yeah. talked about last week, but they just don't seem to have that level here. To go to a positive, though, I do think what's great about the variety of the weapons and how it pushes you to indulge in that variety is that each weapon this time around, Scott Tailford, is actually viable. So right. many times you get a Call of Duty and the meta is established right from the get-go. You want to use this gun with this perk, with this secondary or mm. whatever, and then you stick with that this time around. Uh, every, Almost every weapon I've used feels viable in a gunfight, you know, whether that is the M4, whether it is the 74U, which absolutely slaps, whether it is that <laughs> SPR rifle that you're getting rinsed with, mm. or whether it's, you know, uh, the MP5 equivalent, whether it's this, whether it's that, everyone I've used feels good to use, and it doesn't feel like I'm just, like, you know, handicapping myself in these games because I'm going to get rinsed by a laser-powered M4 that <laughs> has five attachments that everyone's using. It just makes some more variety in each game, and to me, that's more exciting. I might uh, tweet this out because I everything you describe, I believe you, and I, I wish I felt that. <laughs> I feel like, you know, it's Final Tap when that guy reels off a bunch of stuff, and he just, <laughs> Nigel Tuffler just looks at him, and he's like, this one goes to 11. I'm just, I feel like I'm just going to go, I'm going to use the M4. Well, the beauty is, right? My, my M4 has a laser on it. He's the thing. It and does. I shoot, I shoot the men with I'm, it. I'm sure it does. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I hate that. Why would you put a laser on the gun? Everyone what do you mean? See, I want to see where it's going to shoot. Everyone can see where you're shooting from. But, I'm, but I kill them. <laughs> <laughs> you can't kill me. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. What was I going to say? What I was going to say uh-huh. was that this is what I love about the new Call of Duty, though, is that it... It, if you don't want to care about that stuff, you don't have to. No. You can jump in with the M4 and still have a lot of fun because the core gameplay 
is incredibly satisfying mm. just on its own. But if you were ever kind of interested in changing up your playstyle, if you were ever one of those people who <laughs> wanted to level up every gun in Modern Warfare because you wanted to have options for Warzone <laughs> by the time that meta came around, That's you're going to have way more fun this time around doing it. Yes. Because it's almost being created with that kind of progression in mind this time. No, totally. Sorry. I just, I'll, I know this will make you laugh Go slash on. die inside, but I, I don't have any interest in playing Warzone or Ground War or anything other than free-for-all, team deathmatch, uh, domination, or kill confirmed. Uh, well, that's... <laughs> I tried Ground War in, was it Modern Warfare when they brought that in? Yeah. And I was like, I don't, I, this, I'm uh, not, this is Call of Duty, not Battlefield. I don't need this. Uh, I don't need this in my life. Well, that's a nice segue because Ground War is really good in this game. <laughs> it's really good. It's kind of beaten Battlefield at its own game, mm. man. Like, I still liked Battlefield 2042. I was checking my playtime on it last night. Right. I've got 70 hours in that game. Good Lord. And I do still enjoy dipping back in to it. I mm. had fun. It's not great. Wait a minute. You got 70 hours in Warzone already? No, in, uh, in ba- Ground War. But in, that's an old Battlefield, man. I was oh, in God, Battlefield. Okay, okay. Yeah, I've got 30 hours in Call yes. of Duty Modern Warfare 2 so far. Okay, okay. Um, but the point was that I, I still enjoyed that game enough, but obviously it had issues. Obviously it's nowhere near as good as it could have mm. been. In b- Ground War in Modern Warfare 2, just does everything everything that Battlefield should be doing by the destruction. Right. Just does it better, man. Like that kind of large scale all out warfare and um, capture these points gameplay with your squads, with these really cool weapons, with mm. these really cool vehicles. It just does it so well. And for me, I know that you're not necessarily into that style of gameplay, yeah. but if you are, this is kind of catering to Battlefield fans who felt like they were burned with 2042. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, come over here. Like, we're doing it better. <laughs> we're doing it better than the competition. Come on, come come over. We've got everything you could want. If you want 6v6, we got this. If you want uh, these large-scale 32 versus 32 matches, we got them as well. We've got mm. 2v2s coming in a few uh, weeks' time. We've got, we got Warzone vehicles. after we that. Got it all. Yeah, we got DMZ coming as well. We've got every mode you could possibly want, and you know what? It's pretty good. I, d- I don't like to gush about Call of Duty necessarily <laughs> because it's Call of Duty, but like you said at the start of this section, it's a good, it's a real good. It's good. I feel like every year it's sort of like, I think I said this in the last podcast, but it's like we, we sort of do, we till the fields, we check the harvest and it's like this year is good card. It's good card. <laughs> give, it, give, it, give it a sniff, it's good card. I feel like every year we take a different whiff, but this is a good card. I will say this, I'm saying it's a good card. <laughs> I ain't even touched the campaign. No, I haven't touched Spec Ops, two thirds of this game. Or Spec not, Ops never going to touch that. Not interacted with, no. but the multiplayer, that's good card. The four maps I've been on, <laughs> Very good. <laughs> the four maps you've been on. With the one gun. The one gun yeah. and the three game modes you play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. I mean, I, I can't get enough of that. You need to get off free from, man. That's the one I have. I take real umbrage Why? with. Do whatever else. Dine, live, live your life. Do whatever you want. Oh. Do whatever makes you fun. <laughs> it makes you happy. But to me, free for all is like... I couldn't imagine. He's folding his arms. I couldn't imagine having fun playing free for all <laughs> whatsoever, man. No, because it's fun. It depends what map you're on. But if you come around oh. the corner and there's two or three boys shooting each other, it's I'll just mop you all up in one go with my starting M4, and it's a it's a good feel. I don't I don't know how I, I don't I don't I I can't. I'm gonna leave that <laughs> there. Let me know, you guys out there listening to this. This I'm not saying I'm picking nebulous. it over the others. Team Deathmatch is still where it's at, but I like I had a kill confirmed a lot as well. He's the thing. Don't get me started on Team Deathmatch as well. What do you mean? I think I mentioned in this podcast before. I've definitely mentioned somewhere because I've I've annoyed myself with uh-huh. saying it so many times. But I'm over 
team deathmatch in games. I need something more, especially in Call you of Duty. You want tickets to count down. Like you said, I do. <laughs> like you said, we've had 15 years of this, right? Mm. I've had 15 well, years that, yeah. of COD team deathmatch. I need something a little bit more dynamic. I definitely do not. I just, <laughs> I, I just want lots of people on the shipyard map, which they I think they teased, or maybe it was Charlie Intel did a tweet saying shipyard's coming soon or something like that. They'll put it back in, why I? They better put it back in. Just give me, give me, give me, give me a tiny little field that's got barbed wire on the outside and a container in the middle, and I'll play sight lines around that all day long. You're like that rat pushing the pleasure button <laughs> until it died. You're just like, put me on shipment. Put me on free for all. Oh, Let yeah. me press the left trigger, right trigger. Yeah, that, it's uh, dead. That rat brain that was hooked up to like a set of wheels yes. and it just sort of drives around but it has no idea but it's getting somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> that, uh, that's very much me. That new map though, to round off the COD stuff, um, that map that's set on the highway that everyone hates because the cars randomly blow up. Oh, it rules. I love that map. Yeah. I feel like, um, I give honestly, Give me more gimmick maps in Call of Duty. Like I love that London one that's in the in 2019's Modern yeah. Warfare, and um, with all the sight lines and the buses in the middle. Just and then this one, it's like you can just play play a game of sight lines and you're yes. shooting dudes through windows and cars. I was howling playing it yesterday, man, because I like that map when all the cars have exploded. <laughs> it's like genuinely a really good map, I right. think. But yesterday, I, I just got off to a good start on it. Right, I threw a grenade because there was a guy genuinely there. It wasn't just a you know. <laughs> oh, I just threw a grenade. Right. I spawn in, I'm throwing a grenade. Well, he was a thing. Killed him. Mm-hmm. And then I got a few more kills and got one of those like predator missiles very quickly. Use that to get a kill. Mm. But because I'd used so many explosives, I'd I'd set the fires <laughs> to a bunch of different cars. And then no joke for the next five minutes, it was like an explosion of the distance. And it was like plus one hundred XP. Oh really? An explosion of the distance plus one hundred XP. And they kept dying but via these explosive exploded cars for about five minutes afterwards. That's and like... I, I I evacuated uh-huh. the whole enemy team. There were two people left by the time all of those cars had exploded because I imagine uh, they were just frustrated with the fact that <laughs> they were next to these uh, death machines every single time. I've definitely seen a lot of uh, compilations of people just loading in and blowing up next to a car, loading in, blowing up, because there's no marker saying that it's no. about to blow up. You just die, um, which must be infuriating. But that's a cool little tip and trick the game doesn't tell you, that the, the XP is sort of like carried on yeah. based on what f- whoever started the fire, let's say, and it kind of goes from there. Um, I like that as an overall thing. Um, let's talk about a news thing, uh, which is the PlayStation VR 2 is going to be retailing for £530 slash $550. Um, let me remind you that a PlayStation 5 is £360 or $400 for the discless version or £450 or $490 for a disc version. So the PlayStation VR 2 is more expensive than a PlayStation 5. To be expected, Scott Tilford. <laughs> Not nice news to get, no. admittedly. I didn't expect it to be £529 in the UK. Half a granny. It's it's very pricey. We're in a cost of living crisis. Mm. Can I afford it? No. Will I buy it? <laughs> yes. Like I, I'm looking forward to this. Life finds so a way. So much. Life will find a way. I'll have to do a lot of savings, yeah. scripting and saving over the Could next few months. But I think anyone who was expecting this to be drastically less than a PS5 just kind of doesn't quite understand Isn't how in the VR space. Yeah, that's that's a polite way to say it. Doesn't really get that these things cost so much money, uh-huh. and to get the specs that you're getting in the PSVR two, like this is competitively priced. Mm-hmm. You don't have to like that price. I'm not saying you have to go out and buy it and save up five hundred pounds. Of course not. Mm-hmm. But in the VR space, I think it was to be expected. Of course, it's expensive, but for the power in the box, <laughs> I do think it's. It, it's competitively priced. It's 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 going to be worthwhile, I think, if you're into that stuff. If you're mm. not, then don't do not. I do not recommend going out and buy it. But if I, you're 
have realised that your Sonic the Hedgehog is PSVR 2. God, you might be right. Yeah, 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 just if you're into it, it's pretty good. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to anyone else, but the people in that space are loving it. That's so right as well. Yeah. Oh, you've got me. And you're, you're sort of like aware of the sickness. That's I'm just, it. Yeah, that's what it's like being a Sonic fan. This is it, man. Like, I mean, with this price, you know, I think it would have been negated. One, if... Obviously, the PlayStation 5 wasn't still so scarce mm. and wasn't priced so significantly lower. Mm. And two, if the PSVR 2 actually had some good games coming out at launch, <laughs> and I know there are some nice ones in there that I'm eager to play, like I'm really excited to play Pistol Whip, the right. the next-gen uh, part of that, and a few others. But There's I, not much. No, I'd want a big first-party game there at launch, you know, something that will sell... The console is like, look at this original big AAA thing mm. that will justify dropping half a granny on this <laughs> new bit of kit. And I think it's very much going to be for enthusiasts again, mm-hmm. um, for better or worse. Hopefully, the games do come because the tech there is, like I say, like really impressive. I do think it's kind of interesting, just almost admi- almost throwing your hands up ad- and admitting defeat of just like we're not going to get the mainstream audience in. All we can do is compete within a certain space and be one of the best VR headsets out there. Um, um, because I'm not going to get this. Like yeah. it's just, and, and I'm just not that bothered. I tried PSVR, didn't really sell me on the medium overall. I guess I'm still waiting for specific titles. Um, but even the things that they've shown for Horizon Call of the Mountain, like that just looks like another on-rail shooter or another first-person shooter thing, whatever the hell it is. If so far, I've not seen any gameplay where I've just gone, that's an incredible way to interact with something that I couldn't possibly do on a controller. Um, and I guess we'll wait and see what else um, the first-party teams come up with and everything. But um, yeah, the idea of putting the DualSense tech in there is really cool because the idea of all the different haptic feedback back and everything um whatever like there's different ways to feel more immersed in games but the thing that i think also kills it for me is that it still isn't wireless right uh, i just like if we're gonna do this vr future that's the whole thing it's like are we already past the accepted answer to is vr the future of gaming is the answer just no and we're just moving Ooh. forward i don't know but like it's interesting that idea of like if, if the answer was going to be yes then it needs to be as accessible as unlocking a switch or a phone or whatever putting your playstation back on instantly diving into something um, or just thinking like, oh, I'll play the VR mode of this and grabbing your headset off the shelf and just putting it on and it just works. It still hasn't got there yet. And it won't with this either. What I would say is, of course, we've come a long way. But mm-hmm. if you look back to when, um, you know, regular consoles were viewed as the future, they were still a little bit cumbersome. They right. still had, you still had wired controllers. You still had a oh, bunch of adapters. In the, in the 90s? Yeah, I'm right. talking like, okay. you know, PlayStation 1 era, let's right. say. You still had wired controllers. You still had these <laughs> things that you would have had to put up with at the time. And True. yes, in the console space, we've iterated and we've evolved so much where we have got it down to the bare minimum. You have the console under your television. Mm. You have two wires in the back, let's say, and you have your wireless controller. VR will get there. VR Mm. is getting there now. You do have wireless headsets. And for me, one wire shouldn't be that much of a barrier to entry. I get that it's not ideal, but it's it's one wire, you know what I mean? And this time around... This is the sickness talk. And this is why I'm more lenient on the price as well, because you get the controllers in the box. <laughs> if you priced up the PSVR 1, which mm. obviously I had to do when I was buying it, yeah. you know, it was 300-ish for the actual machine. Then it was 80 quid for the Move controllers on top of that. Of course, then it yeah. was another 50 quid for the uh, PlayStation camera that you needed. So it totted up to like, you were looking at 450 quid all in if you wanted the best experience. Mm -hmm. And to me, that tech didn't quite justify that price. So to add another 50, 70 pounds on top of that Mm -hmm. to get the specs we're getting, 
the discrepancy isn't quite as much as it appears, I don't think. No, but. no, I think, like, comparatively, like, this is going to be way more worth the money than the PSVR 1. I mean, the PSVR 1 was, like, this weird MacGyver, what have we got left in the garage-style <laughs> throw-it-together thing, whereas all the motion controllers from when they try to rival the Wii, uh, using them as controller ones and everything... Um, yeah, I feel like that, that's the thing. Like on like the actual price, what it's being applied to is, I'm sure, very solid for a VR headset. I mean, it looks like they're trying to rival the Vive um, or like the most recent Oculus models and stuff, which is really sweet. But I just, yeah, overall, I just feel like they've almost, it's not admitting defeat, it's just knowing your market. Like yeah. people who are into VR are going to be very psyched by this. Um, and I guess it's it's not necessarily priced competitively because you can get like 350, 400 pound Oculus models of the new ones. You can get the wireless ones. Uh, Quest Quest 2? That's true, yes. Um, but the, the thing that they are trying to compete with is giving you a Valve-style experience. And if the likes of Half-Life Alex can run on this, as the yeah. various rumors seem to uh, point to, then that's a major win for, like, overall in, in the VR space. Yeah. But, like, it's... I just... It's interesting. I feel like they uh, they know their market at this point, and they're just sort of like, we know what you guys are going to respond to in terms of a VR thing, and they're not necessarily bothered about getting the like your, your average person isn't going to end up with a with a PSVR two. I think they will eventually, but they're right. definitely definitely not going to be at launch. At mm -hmm. launch, it's going to be for enthusiasts. Hopefully, that spreads word of mouth. Hopefully, the machine is actually good. You know, <laughs> I'm just kind of taking that as a foregone conclusion mm -hmm. based on what I've seen, and then when it does inevitably come down in price. Hopefully that's when people can enter and the more casual consumer won't look at it and say, well, that's more expensive than a PS5. Mm. What am I getting? What's going on? Because, you know, the PSVR 1 eventually did drop in price and this one will too. So I think, yeah, exactly right at launch. It's going to be exactly what you said. It's going to be for a specific audience. But I do genuinely believe that when it does fall down in price, when hopefully we get out this horrible cost of living crisis <laughs> and it becomes more viable than more uh, casual fans or maybe people who aren't necessarily sold on the tech mm. will be uh, will be able to jump in without fear. The call of the mountain. <laughs> they will hear They'll the call of the mountain. Down the hills. They will be like, is that Walker Dead Saints and Sinners 2 <laughs> on uh, Josh Brown's <laughs> top 10 of 2023 list? I think it is. I'll have to play that. I think it's about time for Firewall Zero Hour. Oh, yeah, I can't that, wait for that, man. Whatever that thing was. Um, yeah, I feel as well that um, PlayStation's marketing or just the general approach of like how do various companies market VR has come come along quite a long way in the last few years. And where even like the PlayStation VR, it was like, how the hell do you show this off to people? Because the general uh, consensus around VR was like, you need to go to a shop, you need to go to a store and try it yourself. And it's obviously a terrible marketing tactic because you just can't do that. Um, it's like saying you should go see the movie after you've seen the movie yourself. It's like yeah. it needs a trailer, it needs something else. And I feel like general marketing around VR has become, is good. Like you saw, even the way they advertise the DualSense, the way that they'll try and show what a feeling is, the way that they show when they were showing Horizon Forbidden West off with the DualSense, and it'll show like a bowstring being pulled taut. And that's like mimicked with how like uh, tight the trigger is and you let go of the, re the release of it and everything. And with PSVR, it was like the first person Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man cam. And it's like, while you're like this, this is what you're seeing. And then trying to map those things together, just trying to convey what it's like. Yeah. I think that's one. That's their biggest hurdle to me. Um, because I gave in and bought a PlayStation VR when No Man's Sky got its VR update, because I'm not, not going to play whatever No Man's Sky is doing, and I wanted to see, but that is absolutely not the average person. So I'm no. curious what the PSVR 2's rollout will be. Um, because the backlash to the price wasn't that big. I mean, a lot of people just went, yeah, of course, it's a high-end VR headset. 
um, or whatever. But I'm still curious, like I said, where, where they want it to sit. How wide do they want to go? They're getting a Horizon exclusive on here. Like, that's really, really cool. That'll turn heads. Yeah. But um, whether it actually offers something that doesn't feel like it could be done on a controller is a whole other thing. I think it will. You know, this is mm. based on gut feelings and the specs alone and what I've played on the PSVR 1, which, like you said, is so rudimentary, slapped together in some guy's shed, probably, <laughs> uh, that I do believe it will, but this is going to be a constant Scott and Josh conversation. It might I think. be. I'll be like, it's the future. You'll be like, oh, well, I can do that on a controller. <laughs> <laughs> that was my thing in the uh, PSVR 1. It was just that idea of, like, nearly everything is an on-rails first-person shooter, and <laughs> I, I just don't care. You know what's funny? Go on. <laughs> they announced as a launch title a spiritual success to uh, Until Dawn, Rush of Blood. He did. Which is an on-rail shooter. Yeah, but it literally on rails. Like you're on like a roller coaster cart going through a theme park. I was like, are we just trying to be meta about this? Oh, like, it's so good. It's oh. so fun. At some point, we'll be literally shooting loot, and then that's like the way that we <laughs> <laughs> advance the whole conversation. Um, but yes, yeah, so for now, this has been the wind-up. I've been Scott Tilford. You've been Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Tilford. Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you, and we'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.